Ash Regan has been a fascinating figure in the three-way contest to replace Nicola Sturgeon as First Minister. Her campaign has been framed as more independence-focused, but she was quick out the blocks with some bold promises too, many of which were a default admission the SNP government has failed to deliver on old pledges. In an interview with the Edinburgh Eastern MSP, reporter Justin Bowie heard how she's been uncomfortable with the party's direction for some time. She promises to get on with major infrastructure projects like duelling the A9 through the heart of Scotland. She says party bickering has been a shock and not a good look. She admits there's a mountain to climb, but she thinks there is no question the UK government will come to the negotiating table once they've seen her independence referendum proposals. Justin started by asking what first sparked her interest in politics and Scottish independence. So I... I grew up in Bigger until I was 10, and then I moved down to Devon, and I lived in England for about 18 years or so, and then came back to live in the borders in about 2004, 2003, something like that. So I I did a I did a politics degree, actually, so I, did, I got a degree in international relations, so that's what I did at Kiel. So I've always been interested in politics, and I think I was brought up in a household where we definitely discussed politics at the dinner table. But normally it was more in what terrible thing the Tories had done this week, that sort of thing. We would discuss that. So it was normal for me to have political opinions and that sort of thing. I went into, you know, did different jobs, you know, didn't really think about becoming elected until actually I started in the, you know, when I was in the Yes campaign and after I'd been through the Yes campaign and I enjoyed it so much being active in politics, which is the first time I'd been active in politics. And then I started to think, hmm, maybe I should think about you know, standing for election, which is then what I went on to do. But it was really, it was the Yes campaign was kind of my first experience of, of being active in politics. And I was a member of the SNP at that time. So I suppose that it just then seemed like the obvious thing to go on to try and get elected from there. It's quite interesting me when you talked about those um, dinner table discussions. Obviously, during the independence referendum years ago, there was a lot of talk about Scotland being split down the middle, often kind of households divided, friends divided. How have you always found those discussions with friends, with close family? Have, have you had to tempt a lot of like, you know, close relatives and friends over to the independence movement? Have they resisted or is it, have, they all, have a lot of them always been in your side? So a lot of my friends and family are pro-indie, but not all of them are. So there were definitely, you know, friends of mine. I mean, there was one friend of mine who I won't name because she'll get really close to me. You know, she's a teacher and she, you know, we talked about it a lot. We talked about it for hours and hours and hours over a long period and she didn't actually decide to vote yes until like two weeks before, you know. So a lot of people, it took them time to make up their mind. They wanted to think it through. They wanted to read things and make their decision. It's a, you know, it's an important decision. So, and some, I have one family member who um, voted no, but he's changed his mind now and he says he's going to vote yes this time. So it's a bit of a, it's a mixed picture. Like everyone, everyone will have friends and relatives that all, you know, voted in different ways. This campaign, I suppose, has perhaps been your biggest showing on the national stage so far. You've been in these TV debates. There's been a lot of focus and scrutiny on you as a candidate. How have you found it? Has it been a sort of enjoyable experience? Has it been a bit daunting at times? How has it been campaigning? It is daunting. I mean, that's one of the reasons, I think, that puts many people off from wanting to go forward into politics at a high level. Because everyone knows that, you know, every decision, everything you've ever said, you know, your private life, everything is going to be then picked over by the press and that intense level of scrutiny and can be quite uncomfortable. Nobody wants, you know, the details of their private life to be splashed over in the newspapers. But I started to, I was wrestling with this when I was deciding about whether to go forward. 
And, you know, I just got to the point where I thought, well, I can't let my level of discomfort about being more, you know, um, more heavily scrutinized by the media put me off from doing something that I think is right. So I wanted to go forward because I believe that I have, you know, a plan for how we move Scotland forward, that I can draw a line under some of the issues that we've um, had in the party. And I wanted the opportunity to have that debate with the party, you know, to talk about things like currency and a different strategy to independence. I think it's important to be having that conversation. And I think I've led that conversation quite a lot in the contest. Had I not been in this contest, I don't think we'd be talking about the same things that we are as a result of that. So I'm, you know, I'm proud of, you know, sort of making those, having that policy discussion, if you like, that maybe we wouldn't have had otherwise. It's interesting when you talk about the scrutiny that you face and that, you know, it can be quite daunting. How, how do you find it as a woman in politics, often, you know, Nicola Sturgeon and a, a lot of female politicians were subject to plenty of abuse in social media, plenty of horrible comments. So how do you find it as a woman in politics? Is it more difficult? Is it just different? I wouldn't know because obviously I've only, you know, I, I, you just have to go with the experience that you've had. I, know, I'm, I mean, I'm aware and there is data that women politicians or women in public life in general are held to a higher standard than their, their equivalent male counterpart. Uh, so we do get a lot of coming for a lot more criticism. And then the criticism can be more personal, I think, as well. So it can be criticism on your appearance. You know, you're too fat, you're too thin, your hair's too short or too long or your outfits are wrong or whatever it is. So I think that we're in a way that men perhaps don't get quite that level of criticism. Although, I mean, people do criticize men for what they wear. I remember there was quite a big deal made of Corbyn, wasn't there, about how he looks a bit untidy at times. So men come in for it as well, but maybe not quite in the same way. And I think there are maybe some people that would rather not hear from women. You know, they just want to kind of shut women's views down altogether. Um, but we can't, we can't bow to that. We have to, you know, women are 50% of the population. It's very important that women are involved in politics, clearly, in terms of making those policy choices that will affect everyone and specifically affect women's lives. I think it's very important that women are involved in that process. I suppose in a, in a campaign this big, you know, all candidates are going to have those people they lean on in terms of whether it be advisors, friends, family. Who are the people that are kind of you find you go to the most whether it be for political advice or personal advice but running you know you know who are the kind of who are the people that I suppose inspire or motivate you to kind of do what you do so you'll know the budget for this campaign is really tiny so we've only got a five thousand pound budget so that means that we weren't able to hire many people in to do things uh, so I've got one paid advisor and all the rest of my team are volunteers but um, I get a lot of support from my family. So my partner, my fiance, um, I, talk, I definitely talk to him about politics and um, my mum and my mum's partner, you know, I, I lean on them quite a bit. For domestic and practical sports at the moment, we've barely got enough time to eat and sleep. So um, my mum's been arriving with, um, you know, sandwiches and pints of milk, you know, <laughs> to replenish because I haven't had time to do anything. So that's been great. So they've been really helpful. And um, I've got a dog as well. And so my sister and my neighbours have been helping me walk the dog or pop in to check the dog's okay, you know, when I've been out for long periods. So that's been great. Who do you think you're speaking for in this contest in terms of the SNP membership? You've obviously spoken out a lot for the North East, for example. You've spoke, spoken about your support for oil and gas for during the A9 and A96. I kind of get the sense you, you almost feel like you're speaking for this sort of forgotten element of the SNP that's perhaps been underrepresented. W would that be accurate from your point of view? Yeah, I do feel like that. I think there's... You know, there's obviously different wings of the we always talk about in terms of political parties, so this wing of the party or that wing of the party. And it's very difficult to say how big these kind of wings are. But I think we would maybe say there's a kind of a younger, more um, uh, cohort that's very interested in sort of identity politics and, you know, that sort of progressivism. 
And and then there's probably other sectors of the party, you know. And I think I do feel, um, from the conversations that I've had, that there's, you know, there is some frustration in some of the membership about certain things, uh, you know, how th- things have been done. And I I'm really speaking up for the things that I think are important, and I'm hoping that they resonate with with a sector of the party as well. You have obviously insisted that if you win the contest, you will make doing the A9 and A96 a priority. But you were in the government until October, and even as recently as February, you kind of voted with the government on, on some aspects of the A9 and A96. When, when did you kind of start to shift on this? And has there been an element of opportunism here where you've kind of seemed to have shifted your opinion on this a bit? Or is this something that you felt for a long time the party wasn't focusing on? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't shifted my opinion on it. But obviously, when you're part of the government and you're in the SP, you're part of the team. And, you know, we're all expected to, you know, the government makes decisions, you're expected to support the decision, unless you're you're in a position like I was with agenda reform, where you just feel you cannot, you know, support that particular decision. So I have been uncomfortable about the direction on certain things like that for some time. Being in this contest also gives me the opportunity to then set out how I would do things differently. Um, and I think you have to be able to do that. I think there are some people that are uncomfortable with this and they think that we should, all three of us should stand there and just say that we support all the policies that have gone before but that's not to me that's not tenable the whole point of this is an ability to set out you know a vision for going in a different direction maybe reset the party do things differently and perhaps even um you know take a different view on certain policies as nicola sturgeon stands down um, she's obviously been at the the forefront of the smp for, for a long long time she's been in that top job for over eight years what is your overall assessment of our period as First Minister? Would you say it's been an overall success? Would you say that it's been one of missed opportunities? You know, if you if you were to score Sturgeon out of 10 on a performance, what would you sort of give her as First Minister? Well, I think, you know, everyone would agree she's a, an excellent politician. I mean, she's probably one of the best politicians in the UK right now, and I'm sure she'll be remembered in that way. She's clearly been at the top of our game for a very long time, which in politics, as you know, is no inconsiderable feat to remain at that level for as many years as she has and won election after election after election. So she's a formidable politician. Um, I think she'll be remembered particularly for her sort of calm, steady guidance that she provided through COVID. I know a lot of people really looked to her for reassurance during you know, the pandemic. And she was giving those regular briefings and, you know, and letting everyone know what was happening. I think many people really appreciated that. So I think she'll be remembered for that. Um, I think in some of parts of the membership, there is some frustration about a lack of progress on independence. But that's not just, obviously, Nicholas' fault. You know, clearly part of the UK, there's other factors involved in that. So would you have a score out of 10 for an overall performance or is that too difficult to assess? I think at the moment it's probably too difficult to assess. And I think perhaps people who served in her government, we are maybe not best placed to make that decision. I think sometimes when you're in something, it's harder to see the wider picture. But I've no doubt she's made an indelible mark on Scotland and Scottish politics. And I think she will be remembered as a great politician. Of the three candidates running, you've sometimes been seen as the outsider candidate with Hamza Yousaf and Kate Forbes seen as the favourites. Do you think that's a fair assessment or do you think that plays down your chances? Do you think you've got a much stronger chance than people are perhaps giving you of winning? I hope so. Um, I definitely have more of a mountain to climb in terms of the name recognition. I think that's that's pretty clear. You know, the public um, are much, you know, know Kate and Humza's name much more than they know my name. But I suppose we have to remember that it isn't the public that vote on this. It's the SNP members. So really, it's up to them to decide, you know, what they're looking for in a leader and whether they think that I have the, the qualities and I have the strategy that they're looking for. 
Obviously, once this is all over, the party will need to try and unify. Given some of the comments in the debate on Tuesday night where Kate Forbes quite strongly criticised Hamza Yousaf over his record in government, are you confident that whoever is leader of the SNP come the end of March, the party can unite? Or do you think some of these divisions and wounds are unlikely to go away? No, I hope they will. I mean, we're all professional politicians. You know, this is a contest. We're not used to having contests in the SNP, so I think this has been a bit of a shock to the system for some. You know, if you look at um, parties where this is more normal, I mean, if you look at the, the Westminster Tories down south, you know, they have a leadership contest after leadership contest, and it's brutal. And it's quite normal for people to, you know, robustly challenge each other. Now, I think it's the right thing to do to be able to attack people on their policy platforms. I don't think it's probably okay to attack their personal performance. I think that's, you know, we are all in the same party. And I don't think that that sort of spectacle of, you know, cabinet secretaries who are serving in the same government bickering live on television is necessarily a good look. So I've chosen not to go down that route. I think it's um, important that we just stick to policy and we don't attack each other on a personal level. And um, I've had a few people get in touch with me since the, on the last few days saying that I look like the adult in the room. You know, they're looking like, you know, that that's maybe some people don't like the way that they're behaving. But I think we will all come back together. We have to, you know, um, as a party, whoever's chosen leader, I'm sure, you know, um, people will come in together to support the new leader. Obviously, you'll be entirely focused on your own campaign and doing doing your best to win the race. But out of the two other candidates, do you have a preference for who you would rather see win if it's not you? Especially given you know your supporters will also need to put a second preference. So, do you have any preference out of Hamza Yousaf or Kate Forbes? Well, I'm I'm not going to answer that question because, and I also you know my supporters don't need to vote for any other candidate. You know they don't. It is STV. You're you're quite right. So people can rank the candidates in order, but they don't have to do that. You can just vote for one candidate. Um, but no, I'm in this to win this and I'm, I'm setting out a very clear um, platform of what I stand for. So I'm really hoping that my message will resonate and that I'll, I'll do quite well. Could you see yourself working closely with either candidate if you win? Would you like Kate Forbes or Hamza Yousaf to remain in senior posts in government? I suppose, for example, like the posts they're in at the moment. Yeah, I can definitely see us all working together in the future in whatever you know format that comes. Whoever's leader, I'm sure the other two will support them. And I, I would imagine it's very likely that whoever wins will likely choose the others to be in their cabinet. Yes. You have obviously said that you would be willing to work as a minority government if the Greens don't want to continue the power sharing arrangement in Hollywood. But obviously that arrangement was backed by a lot of senior party figures and also backed by a lot of the membership as well. Do you worry that you could perhaps alienate aspects of the independence movement if that agreement with the Greens falls by the wayside? So in, in terms of the wider movement, the Greens are, are clearly very important to that, you know, in terms of the independence convention and working together as a wider movement. And I have had some Greens reach out to me to say that they support me, they support what, you know, I'm standing for. Um, the coalition in government is obviously a different part of that. We clearly have things where we align and things where we don't. I've seen in the media, you know, the Greens saying that if me or Kate got the job, for instance, that they would see that as a red line. I'm not sure that's appropriate. I think we need to be grown up about this. We need to have a conversation about where this goes forward. And in terms of the membership, I think, you know, we've had the coalition for a couple of years now. Might be appropriate to review that and go back to the SP membership and ask them what they think, whether they think it's been a success or not. And looking to another side of the independence movement as well, um, I, I know you said that, you know, Alex Salmond might not necessarily want to rejoin the SNP, but would you like to see him brought back more into the fold as a sort of senior figure in the independence movement, given he is, you know, he's a former SNP leader, 
he's a long-standing kind of leader of the movement, I suppose. Would you like to see him in a more senior role within the independence movement? So I reached, I reached out to a lot of the leaders of the pro-indie parties. Um, I did ring um, Patrick Harvey, but he didn't, he didn't return my call. I'll have to try and catch up with him over the next few days. But I did speak to Alex Salmond, among others, and you know everyone was really excited about the prospect of uniting the movement or working together, sort of a renewed push for independence, if you like. And he wished me well. I see him as a just like everyone else, you know, no more nor less than the other um, parts of the independence, you know, part of that wider movement. So I'm I'm happy to work with everyone, and um, he has expressed interest in being involved in the convention as the others have as well. If you are successful, what would your priorities be in your first 100 days of government? You know, what are the things you want to get done as quickly as possible? Yeah, so I'm going to set out, you know, like a first 100 days program. But the things that I've committed to already are setting out immediately um, what can be done about the A9 and the new time, fr- time frame. So those um, and the A96, so those roads. Um, I'm going to do a summit for the NHS because I, I think we need to listen to the staff, see how we, we, obviously we need to make some changes in the NHS. I feel that the staff are, a lot of the staff are telling me that they're kind of at the end of their tether. So we need to do something urgently to help the workforce in the NHS feel um, less you know, stressed and burnt out and overworked. So we need to do something there. So I've said I've committed to do a summit. Um, I've also said I will um, start up the Independence Convention. So I'll invite everyone and set a date for the first meeting of that. And I'll set up the commission. Um, I'm also going to work on a house building program. But I need to speak to the Scottish National Investment Bank and see if we can tweak the way that that works so that we can fund a new um, building, a house building program. Because I think infrastructure is quite important. I'm also looking into the possibility of starting work on an energy company because I think obviously energy costs at the moment are skyrocketing. People are really struggling and to see if there's something that can be done on that. Moving on to independence, you have obviously talked about, you know, your, your, the idea of a readiness for a monitor. You know, you talked about in the Channel 4 debate about how it's you know, time for brave hearts. Do you see yourself as a sort of bolder candidate when it comes to independence? And do you think that some people within the SNP have maybe something shirked away from being as bold and as forward as they can be on independence. Do you feel like some within the SNP are almost embarrassed to be too forward about their support for it? Mm, I do see myself as the bold the bold candidate in this. And I think I'm the only one that actually has a credible strategy to get us to independence. I think the other two are, you know, it's quite vague. There's no substance. And they seem to be suggesting, if I'm picking them up right, that they're just going to do what we've been doing for the last few years that hasn't worked. And, you know, if it hasn't worked for the last few years, I'm not sure why they think, you know, that it's going to work now. So, yeah, and I th- in terms of, you know, that readiness, I think that's a key point of it. Because if you think about it in 2014, I believe there was quite a lot of people that wanted to vote for Scottish independence, but they just didn't feel some of the case, you know, was quite there yet. And so that gave them a pause for thought and they, and they didn't feel that they could vote for independence as a result of that. So my idea is if we use the commission to get Scotland ready with the infrastructure that we need to become independent, all the planning that goes into that, and we communicate that to the public, um, they can see us getting ready, they know exactly where we are, and I feel that would answer a lot of questions that people might have uh, where they're not feeling confident about Scotland being ready. They'll be able to see that Scotland is ready and they'll have that confidence to vote for independence. You have said you have the strongest plan to achieve independence, but if Scotland, or you know, the majority of voters in Scotland were to back pro-independence parties in election, what do you do when Westminster just turns around and says no? They say you're not allowed independence. How far how far are you willing to go? What do you do to try and make it happen? Well, any and all peaceful legal means, I say that first of all. And we have to remember that we're always being told the UK is voluntary. 
So Scotland has to have an ability to express its wishes on this. That's Otherwise, it's, it's not credible. The UK is obviously currently trying to stop Scotland expressing its view by not giving us a referendum, but, you know... That, that's not a credible solution. And the referendum isn't the gold standard here, it's the ballot box. Not many countries have um, become independent through referendums. More have just used the ballot box to demonstrate that rising level of support. You know, and we're a democratic country. You know, the, barrel, the ballot box has authority in a democracy. So whilst the UK might say that they won't come to the negotiating table, with lots of other countries that have left the British Empire, the UK almost invariably said no at the beginning, and then they ended up saying yes. So I see this as a process and I, I think there's no question that the UK government will come to the table. But, but do you have an alternative strategy if they don't come to the table, if, if they just continue to ignore you? You know, what, what comes next after that? Because so far the indications are that they have no plans of negotiating for independence or even for a referendum. So, so what is the plan beyond when they say no? Well, I think they will. I think they will. And I think that, you know, as I'm saying, any and all peaceful and legal means will, you know, to put pressure on them. But, uh, you know, we are in a democracy. You know, the, the Conservatives do, uh, it's obviously a Conservative government at the moment, it may be a Labour government when we get to that point, but we, we all respect democracy and we're not seriously suggesting, are we, that, you know, whatever government is in Parrot Westminster will be democracy deniers. I think if Scotland expresses a strong view at the ballot box, there will be pressure to it for them to accept that. If you were to succeed and you are hypothetically the leader of an independent Scotland, what are your immediate plans then? You know, what, what are the kind of dreams you have for an independent Scotland, to put it that way. What, what do you want to see happen? Yeah, well, I, I don't want Scotland to be independent because I want it to be the same as the UK. I think the UK has made some serious mistakes over the last few years. And I would like to see Scotland, you know, going in a different direction with some things. And really how that summed up for me is a country where people are involved, where they can get involved in the decision-making, where our schools and hospitals, you know, our public services are excellent, where there's um, lower levels of inequality between people because in those countries, those countries, people are happier. You know, there's more of a well-being, a sense of well-being in those type of countries and that Scotland can play its part in the world. So you've obviously got that international element to it as well. Um, I think we want to play a part in Europe. You know, most people in Scotland didn't want to come out of the EU. So I think that would be, that would be a big factor as well. So I see us being a, a fairer, greener and happier nation as a result of, of being independent. And if you win as well, I'm, I'm interested, have you kind of started thinking at all about how you would want your cabinet to look? I mean, you might not, you're not going to have exact plans yet. And obviously it depends who wants to serve in a cabinet. But, you know, surely in the back of your mind, you must be thinking to yourself, I'd quite like that person to have a senior role. I'd maybe like this person to have a senior role. Can you tell us anything about that at all? Yeah, I haven't given that much thought. And I and actually, I think there's, for me, there's that's not a good way to go about things. Because I think trying to kind of arrange that all in advance before that doesn't strike me as being the right thing. So I haven't made, I haven't had any conversations with any colleagues about you know that that possibility. Um, we have got some challenges. You know, some of these government jobs are very tough. I, I'm sure you can imagine that. So I need to take some time to think about you know who would be the right person to put in each role. And as you rightly say. It would have to, you know, depending on who wants to serve in the government. So uh, I think it's too early to, to be talking about that. But I have given the commitment that I will do this based on, you know, who I think is the best person for the best, for the, for, uh, you know, in the right role. And then give them the freedom to deliver there themselves, you know, that they have complete responsibility for successes and for failures and that they're able to get on with that themselves. And as a final question, what is your economic vision for Scotland, whether in the Union or as an independent country? Hamza Yousaf has been seen as the continu continuity candidate to the Nicola Sturgeon. 
Um, Kate Forbes has been seen perhaps as a bit more right wing by some people. What's your economic vision? You know, do you want higher or lower taxes? Do you want increased public spending? What's your vision? So I would say I'm left of centre. So I suppose I'm probably quite similar to the way the SNP has been um, carrying things out. So, you know, social democratic in the tradition of some of the, maybe some of the other European countries around us. Um, I consider that we already have a progressive tax system. So I haven't got any immediate plans to change that. But I do see um, Scotland being, you know, a fairer and a wealthier place. And I think the way to get to that is, you know, by um, spending money in Scotland, you know, that my idea for building infrastructure by creating a renewables boom that this time Scotland has a part in, unlike oil, where we missed out on the sovereign wealth fund, you know, so that sort of building wealth for Scotland so that we are protected and we're not sort of bashed about by the winds of the international economy, perhaps in the way that it feels like we are as part of the UK. And perhaps as one final little thing, if you were to try and sell yourself to SNP members in one sentence, what would you say to them? What One sentence that says why you should be First Minister, what would it be? So I think that I have lots of life experience outside of politics, which I think can be a benefit. You know, I think the public are a little bit fed up with, you know, career politicians. So I came into politics late. I've worked in the private sector. I've worked in the third sector. And my family are older now as well. So I've got that ability to sort of dedicate. I've got the time and the energy to dedicate to politics. And if they want someone who's bold and they want someone who's got a plan for independence and is relentless and won't give up, then uh, I think they should think about voting for me.